And welcome back to this week's episode of Commonwealth Ground. Thank you, everybody, that has stuck through us with our first from our first episode on to now number six is where we're at now. We're very excited to be back. If you're new here, my name is Victoria Churchill. I'm a conservative journalist. I run this podcast with my great friend, Jackie Gary. She's a, a Democrat staffer in the Virginia House of Delegates. And this week we have a guest on with us, a great friend of both of ours, Steven Statzer. Thank you so much for joining us today, for taking the time to chat with us. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with Steven, he is a wealth of information on all things data and technology. Uh, that's what his career is in. And then he's also been very involved in Republican politics on a number of different levels. He serves along with me on the state board for the Young Republican Federation of Virginia. He's our chaplain and has served numerous roles before then. And he is also on the RPVSCC, the State Central Committee of the Republican Party of Virginia. Um, that's just a couple of bits about Stephen. Stephen, if you want to kick it over uh, now and introduce yourself a little bit more to folks. Absolutely. Thanks, uh, Victoria and Jackie, for having me on. This is uh, this is a pleasure to be working with you guys again. Um, you know, I like she said, I'm a I'm a veteran and a graduate of the 2023 Sorensen ELP class. Uh, great time getting to know everybody who's on this podcast, everybody else who was in the cohort. Uh, really just excited to be here. Uh, really quick, brief bit about me. I'm a lifelong Republican, born and raised here deep, deep southwest Virginia in the Bristol area. Um, so I'm excited to kind of bring a, a different geographical and political perspective here and uh, looking forward to getting into this with you guys. Thanks, Steven. Yeah, thanks so much for being on with us. So uh, if you guys are tuning in from outside of your Virginia, you may not know that Virginia just started its legislative session for the 2024 year. This is our, you know, our session post the off-off year election. This is our uh, only term that I think you guys might have joined us last week. You saw this is uh, our first and only time that the governor of Virginia gets to see a budget the entire way through, both from introduction to passing to implementation. Because we have off-year and off-off-year elections, this is kind of the only time in a four-year cycle that that happens within the Commonwealth, which makes us very unique. Um, so it's definitely a very interesting political landscape that we have landed ourselves in with the Democrats controlling both the House of Delegates and the Virginia Senate after last year's elections that we've talked about in previous episodes. So if you missed any of that, feel free to go back. And here are some of our recaps of how we thought that went and what we think that means for this legislative session. And, uh, you know, Jackie is in Richmond on the ground working in the state uh, house, the new General Assembly building, um, and has been doing that for uh, just over a week now. She, you know, went down and checked into her accommodations right after the last episode. So, you know, she's down there living along with it and I'm living through it um, in the media, covering it, seeing what's happening down there. And, you know, Stephen, even though he doesn't work day to day in politics, he's still very much in tune, holding all of the roles that he does within the Republican Party and just the greater political um, arena. Uh, so, you know, if any of you guys want to jump in here, feel free. Uh, Stephen, actually, I know that you attended a legislative breakfast down in your area. Um, and so, you know, Sorensen connection there. We had Larry Roberts, who ran our Sorensen program, how we all met and got to know each other. He was down there hosting that breakfast. So I don't know, maybe if you wanted to talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we we're very blessed to have a wonderful delegation from Southwest Virginia down here. Um, everybody from Terry Kilgore to Todd Pillion, Israel O'Quinn. Um, and I believe we had one more Senator whose name is escaping me right now, who was there. 
I, honestly, it was just a great panel. Uh, it was a great time seeing all those folks again. Obviously, I get I have the honor and privilege of working with those folks regularly. Um, but to hear their priorities for the legislative session, um, you know, we're coming off of a Republican majority in the House into a Democrat majority, and then obviously a maintained Democrat majority in the Senate. So, you know, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how legislative priorities pan out and how votes go over the next little bit. I know um, all of our legislators from this delegation in the 9th Congressional District, all of all of our folks uh, from Roanoke all the way to Lee County, um, you know, they're all very interested in finding areas where we can work together with the new majority uh, to try to make a better Commonwealth for everybody. And that's you know, what we've tried to do here with the Sorensen group and the policy project that we're going to discuss later. So, you know, I'm really optimistic. I, I think there's some interesting regional issues that are coming up with economic development and energy. Um, it seems like there's some interest uh, both on both sides of the aisle and from other parts of the state. Uh, one of the things that came up was uh, Danica Rome had a uh, spot in the Cardinal News where she was talking about data centers and how they're wanting to increase taxes, try to remove some of the data center traffic from up in the Alexandria Nova area, sending that down to Bristol. I know I'm personally a huge fan of that, both as a tech worker and as a regional advocate. I think that's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, you know, I'm all for tech jobs coming down to this area. I have a tech degree. I have that background. And I think that's going to be great economically. There's been interest in, you know, small nuclear reactors trying to migrate us to a post-coal society down here. You know, there's not very many coal towns left in Southwest Virginia. Most of that died off about 20 years ago. But seeing how we can continue to evolve both regionally and as a commonwealth to improve everybody's lives, I, I think I'm really optimistic about what we're going to see come out of this session. Yeah, I'll go ahead and echo that. There was definitely a spirit of um, working together to get things done over the um, past week that I've, I've sensed in Richmond. And I will say, for one, you know, going around the new building, uh, we're kind of all getting used to um, where everybody's new office is and where the new digs are. So I'm kind of split up, actually. My um, floor in Pocahontas had some Republicans nearby that I'm sadly a few floors away from now, but, you know, going and reuniting, I saw um, Delegate Rob Bloxham, you know, we saw each other, gave each other a big hug when we saw each other. Uh, former Delegate Tim Anderson stopped by, who's a, who's a good friend of mine, and Delegate Delaney's, and so um, there was definitely that spirit, and, and I will say, um, I'm like kind of, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself, but I do have other Republicans to shout out um, for our segment at the end, but uh, uh was it, I guess it must have been Thursday night time kind of all blurs together, so I might get some dates wrong. But um, our new speaker had a kind of uh, his, uh, in his professional life outside of the General Assembly, his law partners through kind of a celebration for his swearing in and um, Governor Youngkin was invited and stopped by. And so um, we had uh, uh, the Speaker Scott, uh, Majority Leader Serville in the Senate and Glenn Youngkin all get together. and. So I, I definitely felt that sense of trying to come together this year um, to, you know, we're not going to agree on everything, but like, let's put a, those things aside for now and actually try to get stuff done. So I'm hopeful. We'll see how far it goes, how far that, you know, extends after the first week when everybody is kind of in that first day of school, first day back at summer camp mood. Um, but it was a good start to the session. I think it was the right tone. 
Well, with that, you know, what are kind of some of your guys' top moments from the first week of session that you've lived through, Jackie, and that you and I, Stephen, that we've seen? Uh, if you guys watched the State of the Commonwealth for Governor Yunkin, um, you know, I personally was very impressed with a lot of the rhetoric that came out of that. I think it echoed a lot of that uh, really need for bipartisanship to still move the Commonwealth forward, you know, from a Republican perspective, right? Like, especially with Youngkin being a one-term governor, he doesn't want to be a lame duck. He doesn't want to be painted as a lame duck. So he has every single um, really point of encouragement that he needs to get things done. Uh, you know, this is kind of where he proves his chops. And really, I think for a lot of people that may not necessarily vote Republican, but still helped bring him over the vote threshold that he needed. And with everything that Governor Youngkin really had to advocate for back in 2021 when he was running, um, you know, and he was really able to get a lot of voters that don't typically vote Republican to vote for him and to really support his vision that he had for the Commonwealth. Um, you know, it was still difficult enough to get it done with some Republican leadership in the General Assembly. But, you know, just if you look at it in a Republican versus Democrat perspective, you'd say there's no way he'd get things done. But, you know, again, with his background of working with people of different backgrounds, coming from the private sector, the business sector, where, you know, you don't necessarily always see eye to eye with people, um, neither that you do in politics. But I guess, you know, with politics, you kind of always have to work on this assumption that, Again, people are kind of elected to represent their constituents from a certain set of values and, you know, kind of how, how to carry that over to real solid policy making right in the General Assembly. So, um, you know, like I said, I, I was pretty happy with what I saw out of the State of the Commonwealth. And, uh, you know, if anybody actually watched it, our girl Jackie was on screen a couple of times. I don't know if we'll be able oh, to gosh. Those of you guys that are watching the video, but we got some some screen grabs that was set around our uh, our good old Sorensen group chat. And, you know, this, this is but this is great, though. It proves our point. It says, you know, we are actually people that are in there doing the thing. We're not just some talking heads on the Internet that talk about it. Um, unlike a lot of other podcasts that we'll see. And again, that's no shade to anybody, but you know, that's kind of why we thought we really even have a place in this podcasting space yeah. and in political podcasting, because these are, I think just in general, some voices from perspectives you don't always see of people that actually get to do the thing, you know, and we talk about Congress, it's how the sausage is made, right? Like we are actually there, especially Jackie actually making this policy. I don't, I didn't really quite realize like until um, the governor started talking, but the tickets that they gave me in the gallery was right behind all of his guests for the evening. So every time he would like introduce somebody, I quickly realized that I was like, oh, I have to make sure like my hair looks good, that there's nothing in my teeth because I'm going to be right on camera. Um, and so that was fun to um, learn from you guys in the group chat. So hopefully we have some of those pictures because there was a couple, I think, that were caught on the live stream before I really realized what was going on. <laughs> well, I think you represented as well, Jackie. I don't know, Stephen. Thank I, you. I, I think I think you did a remarkable job representing us. <laughs> Thank you. I I do my best. I do my best. Um, yeah, but to your question, I think the things that stood out to me most this week. Um, I mean, I won't shock anybody to hear that. Like, there was, you know, some notes in the the state of the Commonwealth that I wasn't thrilled with. Um, like, I'm not sure why we're talking about bringing up right to work when I don't think that anybody has even like introduced legislation on that this year. Um, it kind of seemed like a needless hit to me. Um, you know, and, and there is obviously, I, I think I've talked about this here. Like, I'm not a fan of this tax proposal, um, coming out of the governor's at all, uh, uh, 
budget at all. And I think that's pretty much dead on arrival. Um, I know I took the controversial stance last week of um, not being in favor of getting rid of the car tax. And so uh, those kind of things uh, weren't right up my alley. Um, I was, uh, I don't know if the live stream caught any of this, but I was, my, my, kept my clapping to a very polite um, and not, not an enthusiastic clapping. Um, if any at all, but um, no, what I will say was stuck out to me last week, um, kind of my biggest highlight um, was uh, earlier that morning at the start of the floor session, um, the members are allowed to request tickets for family or supporters or whomever. And I'm very lucky to have a boss that gets tickets for myself and the rest of our staff. And so um, me and my staff actually got tickets and I thought we'd be up in the gallery for the opening day, but we were actually sat right behind her on the floor and so I got to watch all of the swearing-ins including the speakers um, from the floor that day which um, I don't know if you guys caught um, the now speakers kind of welcome speech but I got a little weepy sitting in the back row I'm not gonna lie to you um, it was just a very incredible moment of history to to witness and and be a part of you know and have a minor small part in helping get a majority to make that happen and so um, that was really my highlight of the week for me, kind of being there and watching everything. What about for you, Stephen? Did you tune in? Did you have any favorite moments that you saw? Uh, so I didn't have too many uh, singular moments that I can that I can pick out off of the top of my head, but I will say, as the as the resident party official uh, of this episode, you know, I, I do think it's very interesting the posturing that that Glenn Youngkin was doing. You know, it's it's very common, at least in Virginia Republican circles, people asking, OK, well, you know, what's Glenn Youngkin's next step after governor? Is he just going to fade off into retirement? Is he going to run for something else? Um, you know, I really think he's done a decent job of setting himself up if he does decide to pursue federal office. I personally hope he does. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the problems we have in Washington, D.C. right now are people who are being hyper-partisan, who aren't willing to work across party lines. And fortunately, in Governor Yunkin's experience, you know, we've had bipartisan control of the legislature and or the executive mansion since the time he came into office. He has no choice but to work across party lines for the betterment of the Commonwealth. And I personally think Washington DC could do a much better job if, if that was more common up there. Um, so I think that's very interesting. I, I think he's got a lot on the line this year. I, I hope he does well with it. I hope, you know, everybody's able to work, work well together and develop some good policy. I'm a big believer that good policy is good policy. I don't care what letter comes after your name when you write it. Um, so I'm excited to see what comes out of the general assembly this year. Uh, Jackie, I know you mentioned um, the welcome speech of the new speaker. I do think it's, uh, you know, it, it's worth shouting out, you know, 400 plus year history uh, with Speaker Scott. We now have the first African-American speaker, uh, which is, yeah. you know, obviously a historic moment. Um, we've got not only a African-American speaker, but we have an African-American uh, lieutenant governor. And, and an African-American um, president pro tem in the Senate. Yes, so yes. Did you, I mean, this you is... know, you caught all three of them sitting behind the governor <laughs> on the dais during the state of the Commonwealth. And that was something really magical. Yes. I mean, you know, I, I'm I, I'm not one of those people who who digs super into, um, 
you know, the, the racial affairs of things, but it's obvious that, you know, not just the nation, but particularly the Commonwealth where our capital has the former capital of the Confederacy, you know, we have a very mixed history with, with race relations and it's, it's good to see that we're progressing towards the right direction on that. So, you know, seeing speaker Scott, obviously I would have liked to had the majority this year. Um, but you know that is that is definitely one bright moment in the general assembly's history that that has come to pass this week. Yeah, I agree with you there. And you know, I just want to piggyback off the point that you said about you know what sets Virginia apart from DC. And I think for Jackie and I, you know, hosting this podcast, but living in Northern Virginia, just outside of Washington DC, that's really something that we like to compare and contrast and say, you know, this is. Um, you know, this, this is kind of a, a big idea of why this podcast exists, right? Is to show that like you can govern better and this is how this works and why. And in an environment where you are forced to be bipartisan, but also still have to be accountable to your constituents and the people that vote for you back home, uh, you know, it's definitely not an easy job. I, I would imagine for anybody that goes to Richmond, um, but you know, just the fact that we have the people that come from much more partisan areas uh, that are still willing to work across the aisle. Jackie and I, I think we mentioned this last week, but we actually lost audio on this part of the recording. So I don't know if you guys got to hear it. Um, but, you know, the idea of the, uh, you know, speaker being invited uh, to tour some of the areas in Southwest Virginia, um, and actually, uh, at least according to the coverage that we saw from Cardinal News, uh, actually being well received um, in those communities, I think that really goes a lot, uh, goes very far to show um, exactly how Virginia, not only at the level of our elected officials, but just of the general public is willing to work across the aisle and to just have common sense solutions that make things better um, for everybody involved. Yeah. So one thing that we will uh, be keeping a particular, particularly close eye on uh, this session that Victoria and I have talked about in the past um, is a bill that the three of us have been working on together since September. Um, and uh, about uh, uh, the state uh, standards of quality school funding. And so we, one of the guests Stephen to come on today is he's been our numbers guy on this. And so um, with all the filing that's come uh, by, uh, uh, Delegate Delaney will actually be carrying our bill um, in the house. So I'll be working really closely to help get this passed, but we wanted to invite Stephen on to talk a little bit um, more about this bill and how it came about and all of the numbers behind it. And um, now that we know committee members, you know, what we'll be watching for as uh, this legislation passes through the General Assembly. So take it away, Stephen. So if you want to get started, could you maybe start talking about, um, you know, the what the standards of quality are and why we chose this particular method of, um, trying to fix some of the funding problems that we uh, that have come up with in the, well, we say have come up with in the past year with the JLARC report, but have really existed for a very long time in Virginia. Absolutely. So the standards of quality or the SOQs is this honestly gargantuan uh, <laughs> labyrinth, I guess is the best word for it, uh, concoction of laws and, you know, pieces of the code, financial calculations. Uh, it's really a giant raging dumpster fire that needs to be rebuilt from the ground up, but we didn't have time to do that over the past six months. Um, but basically what it is, is it's the mathematical system that the state uses to determine the state levels of funding 
and the required local levels of funding for school districts across the Commonwealth. Um, you know, this is a core, you know, I, I come from the corporate world. We talk about core competencies a lot. This is a core competency of the, of the state government is to have a functioning public education system that is teaching our children, preparing them for the workforce, preparing them for college, making sure that we're investing in our young minds to have a brighter Commonwealth for tomorrow. Um, you know, if you want to build data centers and nuclear reactors in Southwest Virginia, you have to have people smart enough to run data centers and nuclear reactors. That's not exactly an easy thing to do. Um, so, you know, the SOQs are basically designed to have a state mandated level of funding that nobody ever dips below. Um, you know, historically speaking, if you go back and you look at the, I, I don't have the exact figures in front of me for this one, but you know, every school district and even the state uh, for the past, as long as I was able to go back and look at least 20 years has been exceeding what we had, what we were required to spend uh, according to the SOQs. However, there are areas in the standards of quality that could be improved. And one of them, one of the really big ones is the at-risk funding programs. Um, what those are is they're basically programs that are funded with state and local money that are tied together for students that are at higher risk, educationally speaking. These are typically English as a second language students um, because, you know, just the reality of the situation. If you're a first generation immigrant, nobody in your house speaks English as their primary language. Typically you're not making as much money at, at least initially. Um, you know, that is a huge financial problem. Uh, you can have issues like in deep Southwest Virginia, where there's been massive economic changes and people just don't have jobs. You know, when, when coal left, it left very quickly and there wasn't a lot of time to, to transition people over. And, you know, as easy as, as it is to say, oh, well, just learn how to code. Um, as somebody who has a bachelor's degree in tech, it's a lot easier said than done. So, you know, these are targeted, these are funds and programs that are targeted at the most at-risk students across the Commonwealth. Every county, every locality has some of those students. Some of them have more than others. And this is really one area where we found that regardless of political affiliation or geographical location, this is an area where students are hurting and we can help them. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the idea behind it. I can go further into that or we can start to dissect the bill a bit more if you want. I'd say maybe take two or three more minutes and do a little bit of a deeper dive because, you know, we, we want you to really showcase your expertise on this. You know, Jackie and I have talked about it a lot, but, you know, again, neither of us were the data people on the project. So that's where we think you could really have a value add. Um, you know, especially again, when we talk about legislation, really any kind of legislation, people don't typically dive into the nitty gritty, even a lot of the times within the policymaking process. Um, you know, they, they get, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of bills to review. And so basically for the people that just, you know, look at the bill summary and vote on it based off that, like, what would they miss? Give, give us that answer. Yeah. So the reason we chose this particular this very particular piece, we actually went through the JLARC study, which is something in the neighborhood of 118 pages. I've actually got that pulled up here somewhere. Um, let's see here. 164 pages, actually. 
read the entire document. Uh, if you're really bored and or really nerdy, I highly encourage you to read it. It's very enlightening for the problems that <laughs> face our school district. Um, but I recognize not everybody else in the world has a full day of their life to burn on 160 pages of what is very dry legislative policy making information. Um, we went through it and we found that two of the most common sense areas that we could update it was the at-risk funding programs and that a very minor technical tweak that we can talk about later if we have time. Um, but specifically the at-risk funding programs, the reason that needed tweaking is back in 2016. Uh, no, sorry, 2014. 2014, yes, sorry. 2014, the Obama administration, which as a Republican and a sitting member of the state central committee, I have to say I had a vast myriad of policy issues with, um, hit an absolute home run of, of a policy. I, I mean, I, I believe in giving credit where it's due, and this was this was an excellent program. Uh, they worked with the USDA, came out with something called the Community Eligibility Provision, which what that does is in districts with very high poverty levels, they allowed school districts to go, every student gets free lunch, no matter what, which is a great program. It really helps economically distressed areas. Um making sure kids have full stomachs to go to class is a no-brainer for me. I think that's a great idea. But that does introduce a problem with the Virginia Code. The way that we were calculating poverty in schools to determine the apportionment of these funds was by using free lunch applications. Well, if every student in the school gets free lunch, you're not collecting those applications anymore. Um, again, great program, slight problem with the ramifications. So what we have proposed to do is we're adopting something called the ISP or identified student percentage. This is a number of students that is provided by the federal government of all the students in a given school district that are enrolled in federal government benefits. So, you know, these are SNAP, EBT, TAMF, all of the government assistance programs that you can think of that come from the federal government. Each one of those students that's on them, the local local governments and state governments get a list of those. So we then take that number, we give it a multiplier because obviously for whatever reason, whether it's lack of education, uh, technical error in paperwork, whatever, somebody inevitably who qualifies for these benefits doesn't get them for whatever reason. Um, so we apply a multiplier that's set by the General Assembly between 1.2 and 1.6. Uh, we multiply that, and then that gives us the more accurate weighted percentage of students who are living in poverty who we can then apportion these at-risk funding dollars to. So ultimately, and this is a very technical explanation for it, we're fixing a math problem. That That's really what this does. Um, it has some pretty big economic implications. I believe it's something to the tune of $258 million. Um which is a very large regular investment in the school districts. Um, but it's no larger than the one-time investments that the governor and his in the previous general assembly sessions have, have been able to push through. And I, I think it's a worthwhile investment. And on top of that, you know, not only are we directly investing in students by this, but localities have been making up the gap on 
what the state said they would give versus what they actually need to give because poverty levels have gone up. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but the economy hasn't been exactly great for the past several years since about 2019. It's been a little bit rocky here and there. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me as a small government, fiscal conservative, raw, raw GOP, you know, we're giving localities the ability to fix the problems that they're facing that are unique to them. Uh, instead of having to spend $400,000 making up the gap on a program that the state said they would pay for, now that locality can spend that $400,000 on the extra old changes that they have to do in Lee County because the bus routes are 40 miles long instead of 20 miles long. Um, you know, you can use it for career and technical programs. You can use it for whatever, you know, it, it's, it's designed to allow localities to make the decision that makes the most sense for them. And I'm a big believer that small government is best government. And the, the one that I like the most is the one that I can go see. And my board of supervisors is 25 minutes from my house. The general assembly is six hours. So the, uh, the more ability we have for our local governments to be able to solve the problems that are unique to them, the better in my book. That's great. And you kind of took my question right out of my mouth <laughs> um, at the end there, because I was going to ask, you know, this is some really technical and um, meaty stuff that we're talking about here. But I think you know, the most important thing that we need to focus for this policy and for really anything that comes before the General Assembly is what this actually looks like in practice back home. Um, and I think you hit the the nail right on the head there, which is that um, for in this particular case, which is, you know, the state said it was going to fund a great public education system in the Constitution. And we're basically the way we do it now is forcing them to spend money that could be used on other things on the thing that the state said it was going to do. Um, and it also means that our kids are getting left behind and are getting unequal outcomes across the state. And this is going to get everybody, regardless of your zip code or county, um, it's going to level the playing field for all of them. So um, I, I think that's the important thing um, to center on in, in instances like these where we could come at things with partisan differences. At the end of the day, we all want to make sure our kids are getting a great education so that they could succeed in life. And um, this is kind of where we agreed is a good starting point, at least between the three of us and our and our other group members, is a good starting point to get on that track. Well, and you know that really ties into to one of the things that came up very early on in our in our Sorensen program. You know, we, we went through and we did a full-on regional discussion about the problems that are faced by different regions, what they do well, what they do poorly. And the one thing, um, and it, it's going to irk me for the next several days because I don't remember who said it out of <laughs> our Sorenston group, but it, it's very true. Um, it, poor is poor. You know, I think it was you, Stephen. It, it, it might have been me, honestly. I'm just getting that to you. <laughs> I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking it was mead spots. I, it might have been Jacob. I'm not sure. Might have been uh, Matt. It could be. It could be. I always so, thought it was you. I'm pretty sure I quoted that exact statement <laughs> like on our second episode, and I'm pretty sure I attributed it to you. So, oh, well, I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> but you know, it, it doesn't matter what your what your zip code is. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. Poor is poor. Um, 
you know, when you don't have enough money to eat or you don't have enough money to put shoes on your kids' feet and they have holes in their socks going to school, poor is poor. That's, that's all there is to it. And if there's something we can do that for honestly, when you look at the size of the budget is really a minimalistic investment that I believe is going to have as big of an impact as this will, I really personally think it's a no brainer. Um, you know, this is, this is not just a, a free check that we're, that we're handing out to light on fire. We're not taking hundred dollar bills into Capitol square and lighting them on fire. Uh, this is an investment into our Commonwealth's future. And I think over time it will, it will pay massive dividends. Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because I know it's uh, something we've talked about kind of offline, um, but we have committee assignments now uh, for education where we, where this should, um, we should expect this. I, I know it's not official, but uh, where we should expect these. Um, so taking a look at um, the House and Senate Education Committees, are there any, um, like, how do you take it? Do you think that we have a good setup here to kind of work this through? Can we gain the support that we need? Uh, what's your assessment there? <clears throat> well, I've been I've been reaching out to a lot of folks. Um, I will I, I won't put anybody on the spot on this podcast because um, I don't I don't want to speak in turn for anybody, and I don't want to put anybody on blast. Um. Sam Rasool as the lone Democrat left in the ninth congressional district, I think is actually a huge asset to us. Um, you know, even though he is in Roanoke and as the, the Cardinal news article that I hinted at earlier referenced, some people don't believe Roanoke is part of Southwest. I am one of those people. You got to go about another article. 20 minutes that way. Uh, and then you're <laughs> truly in Southwest, but I'll still claim them for this. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to be amenable to this. Um, you know, just looking through here, we've got. Um, I was excited to... to see Delegate Coiner back. I think yes. she'll um, be very friendly. Yes, um, I think Coiner will be friendly. Um, I am very close personal friends with Amanda Batten's LA. She has promised me that she will get a uh, Delegate Batten to take a look at it. Okay. Um, I can't promise that she will vote for it, but I am cautiously optimistic having worked with her office before. Um, her and her staff are just generally amazing to work with. If you ever get the chance to talk to them, you totally should. Um, I always joke that uh, Delegate Batten and Delegate O'Quinn are the uh, male and female style icons of the GOP caucus. Um <laughs> And I it, have to say, Delegate Batten was rocking a really awesome dress on opening day. So I'm that's great. They they've got it on lock. They they've got it on lock. Um <laughs> Nick Freitas, um, Delegate Freitas. Um, you know, I, I've worked with him before. Obviously, he is a huge proponent of charter schools and school choice mm -hmm. and all of that. So he might be a bit interesting trying to get support on this one, obviously, or honestly, I haven't reached out to his office yet. Um, mm -hmm. I am cautiously optimistic given the nature of this bill and exactly what we're trying to do. He might, yeah. even if he comes shy of lending his full support, I don't think he'll, he'll try to stand in the way of it. Um, you know, this, this is a bill that is very unique in great. that I, I think, 
every member of the House of Delegates can walk away with a win on this thing. Um, and it's very rare for that to happen. You know, normally at least one person winds yeah. up winds up getting the short end of the stick with, with bills. Uh, this is one, the way that we have it structured, literally every single person in the General Assembly, when this session is over, if they pass it and the governor signs it, can go home to their constituents and say, look, here is one honest good thing that I have done that is improving this district. Maybe nothing else gets passed. Yeah. No matter what, if this bill gets passed, every single member of the General Assembly can go home and hang their hat on a job well done on this bill. My question is, uh, because this bill deals with public education, and that has kind of been a point of contention for some uh, segments of the Republican Party, some certain delegates um, that, you know, are, are, and again, I think they have very fair arguments just of being skeptical of the public education system in general. Um, you know, this is some internal debates that we had of how do we get those people on board? Because we wanted a piece of legislation that even those people that may cringe a little bit at the idea of spending a significant amount of money, right? Like $250 million is a lot of money. It's like you said, it's kind of in line with what's been invested already by the governor and the general assembly previously, but it's not, it's not, you know, non-existent. Like this money has to come from somewhere. So kind of what is your answer to, to folks that may be a little bit more in that camp um, and kind of how would you go about getting them on board uh, with this piece of legislation? Absolutely. So, you know, again, I kind of go back. My primary response to that is to go back and say the point of this bill is to give localities their money back, um, which I think every chamber of commerce, old school Republican in the Commonwealth is going to go, yep, let's do it. They're, they're on board with that idea immediately. Um, but to give it more of a personal twist, the an example of what this is going to do in reality. Um, I have a very good friend. I, I was at church this morning. I'm a believer, obviously, as I feel my position as chaplain on the YRFV. I was at church this morning, and a very good friend of mine, Seth Jones, who is a detective with the Bristol, Virginia Police Department, his wife is a public school teacher, uh, which, you know, shout out to them, just amazing family, public servants to the bone. Um, I was talking to his wife, Laura Jones, this morning. She is a uh, pre-K teacher, and most of her students, in order to qualify for, for her education and her assistance, qualify based on poverty. Her program is funded. What she does, what she what she does to work with students is funded by this at-risk uh, funding pool. That That's where her salary comes from. That's where her supplies come from. You know, this is not something where it's just do whatever you want with it money for the school districts where you can, you know, go out and hire whoever you want to teach whatever you want. These are very specific prescribed programs that are targeted at low income and at risk students. Um, this is, this is honestly the least controversial K through 12 thing you can touch in my opinion. Um, because this is all really just targeted at like, Hey, let's make sure kids who are underprivileged have an opportunity to, to learn with the rest of the students and, and, and have the same positive outcomes. Um, and again, you know, 
I, I was talking with a friend of mine about this bill earlier. I am positive that in a Commonwealth as big as it is, we have a hundred and some odd localities between independent cities and counties. Um, within those, every one of them has their own school district. I think there might be one or two that have multiple school districts. Someone somewhere is going to do something with the money that we free up that I don't like. Um, I won't be happy about it, but the point of this bill is to give money back to the localities. Maybe the problem that they're having in Loudoun County or Fairfax County or Arlington is something that I personally don't know anything about. And when I see the headline, I'm like, mm, I, I don't know if I like how they're spending their money. But that might just be a problem that they're facing that I'm not familiar with. And that's that's the point of this bill is to allow local governments the freedom to deal with those situations as, the, as they arise in the way that makes sense to them and their constituents. Yeah, I Excellent. think that's a perfect answer. Yeah. Awesome. On that note, we're getting close to time. So we will be checking in on this bill throughout the General Assembly session. It is House Bill number 761, patroned by my boss, Delegate Carrie Delaney. Um, so tune in uh, throughout the legislative session to hear more about how it is progressing. Um, on that note, do we want to hit our final segment, our favorite uh, office party uh, members of the week? Yeah, sure. All right. Okay. You want to kick it off? We've put Stephen on the spot too much. So I feel <laughs> like to you. I know. I'll start. Um, so, you know, as I said earlier, we're kind of in the happy feel good week of session. You know, everyone's happy to see each other. So I actually feel like I have a lot of Republicans this week. Um, you know, I, I already shout out uh, Governor Yunkin for, um, you know, uh, his welcome and, and congratulations to uh, Speaker Scott. Um, Delegate Terry Austin, who, you know, if you remember from, I think it was like our first or second episode, Victoria, we talked about the process for nominating um, and, and selecting the speaker in the Virginia House. And, and that basically happened, not to not to brag on myself too much, exactly how I said it would. Um, you know, we had some nice speeches uh, taken into history of the moment. Um, Delegate Luke Torian uh, made the nomination on the Democratic side. Um, did a speech, and then uh, the Republican I want to shout out is Delegate Terry Austin for doing the second and his words there. And then it was unanimous vote and went on. So there's that. And um, I also want to shout out. I'll make. I'll, I'll do one really quick. Just one last one, really quick, because I, I it was exciting to me. Um, I'll shout out Delegate Mike Cherry, um, who my boss will be working on his legislation with him on um, uh, ending labor trafficking. Um, which is um, kind of a big problem in a lot of parts of the state, makes up about 40% of all human trafficking. And Virginia is the only state in the nation not to have any laws on the book to combat it. And so um, uh, Delegate Cherry has always been a, a great guy, in my opinion, and, and, and just very lovely to work with. And so looking forward and very kind and gave my boss a spot in the limelight at a press conference to, you know, to highlight it and everything. So um, shout out to him for working on some good stuff and um, bringing uh, a, a legislative expert in Delegate Delaney on board to get that done. So Victoria, do you want to go next? 
Sure. Well, I don't want to steal Stephen's thunder too much if he goes with Delegate Rome, but if he does go with Delegate <laughs> Rome, I just want to say, I think from an OVA perspective, moving the data centers to uh, places in this Commonwealth where land is cheaper, um, people aren't going to be complaining about that land being used when it could be used for things like housing up here, right? Like, I feel like you guys have a lot more land to go around back there. Um, and again, you know, I think it's a smart business decision because that land is a lot cheaper and you're not competing with a bunch of other priorities that I think members of communities here, whether that's Ashburn, whether that's Loudoun, whether that's, you know, Western Fairfax, um, complain about these data centers coming in. I think you'd have a much better chance about getting some better public opinion about those down in your neck of the woods. So, um, you know, I'm happy that we can keep them in the Commonwealth, but not necessarily have them in Northern Virginia. Like, I think that's really a win-win for both localities. And the fact that Delegate Rome is looking to champion that from, you know, being from Northern Virginia, I think, again, that just echoes that so much uh, because, you know, again, as we talked about, like, these are things that are not necessarily partisan. Um, you know, they might be more generational. They might be more, uh, you know, just based on somebody's personal background, how they feel about it. And so the fact that like, I can agree with her on that and also with you, like, I think that just proves how good of an idea this actually is. Um, so, you know, she's kind of my first one. And then the second one, uh, I just want to shout out, you know, Jockey's boss, Delegate Delaney for picking up our bill, because I think it's great. And I'm excited to see where it goes. So. Thank you. I'll pass that along. She'll be very <laughs> excited. <Yes. laughs> I guess I get to go last now. Um, <laughs> so shout out to Victoria for stealing my thunder entirely. <laughs> I know, um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Challenge to pick a new Democrat. <laughs> uh, like different reasoning for it than I do. So I think it's, again, yeah. very important to highlight why we both think, like, I mean, again, obviously she's championing it because she thinks it's a good idea, but the fact that we are from two very different areas of the Commonwealth and we also agree on that, like, that's, again, that's kind of the whole point of this podcast of saying, like, these ideas, we don't care if it comes from a Republican or a Democrat, if it benefits everybody. So uh, please share your reasoning because I hopefully haven't stolen that. Yes, yes, absolutely. Please, for the love of all things holy, please send me a data center. I'm begging you. <laughs> um, I will personally drive to your office if you're listening to this with a gift basket full of peanuts <laughs> and Virginia ham and Philip Morris cigarettes and any and every goodie I can think of. Please, 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 please. I love data centers. Send them this way. Um, yes. So obviously, she's gonna get the she's gonna get the nod from me. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, it's kind of old news, but just so I can, just for the sake of bipartisanship, and hopefully I don't get kicked off of State Central for saying this. <laughs> um, let's see here. Ooh, All I'm going to need here are gonna... and not reflective of our organization. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with John Fetterman for uh, his. Yeah, returning champion John Fetterman, who has no <laughs> idea, but that's cool. <laughs> For his bill on uh, prohibiting uh, Congress uh, Congress members from trading stocks, I think that's the greatest thing ever. Um, well, in that case, you got to shout out Virginia Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger for championing yes. the same thing. Yes, I will. I will give credit where it's due. Absolutely, <laughs> credit to uh, to Congresswoman Spanberger. You know, I I have joked around with several friends and honestly, at this point it's turning into a real policy position that I think we should double the salary of everybody in Congress and never allow them to trade stocks again. I think that would be the greatest thing ever. You want to get rid of, you want to get rid of corruption. That's a great way to start. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think those are probably my two shout outs. staffers and state legislators to that, and I'll get behind that. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome. Well, I think this is an awesome episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. Uh, if people want to keep up with what you're doing, what you're up to, where can they follow you? Where can they keep up with all your latest news and projects that you're working on? Absolutely. So I've started up a blog for my work as chaplain with the YRFE. Uh, it is a substack called uh, a Commonwealth Faith. Uh, so kind of a play on words there. The wealth is in parentheses. Um, don't worry, you're not going to hear any prosperity gospel junk from me. Uh, that's my lone theological standpoint that you're going to hear today. Um, <laughs> but if you want to follow me there, I'm sure that'll be linked in the description here. And then I've also got a link tree for all my socials. Awesome. Well, thank you, Stephen. And thanks everyone for listening. We will be back next week um, as committees start to get going and we hear some good hearings coming forth um, in our brand new committee rooms at the General Assembly building. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to go through. But until next time, stay in touch, follow Stephen, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. And all of our socials will be linked down oh, yeah. in the description as well. <laughs> I need to get better at that. Follow us on social media too. You're good. I well, the accounts have different names, so you can't just say we're at Commonwealth Ground on most things except Twitter. We are at CG Podcast VA. Uh, and again, you can find any of our stuff as well as all of Stephen's stuff linked down below. Um, yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, hopefully, you guys all love Stephen as our first guest. We are looking to have more guests, so please reach out to us either by commenting, messaging, um, you know, depending where you're looking at this or our email is down in the General Assembly building. Yeah, it's Corner Jackie. You know, we'd love to get more legislators, more lobbyists on the show. Um, and then, you know, kind of finally along that note, our Gmail is commonwealthground at gmail.com. That's an inbox that both Jackie and I have access to. So please hit us up there and have a wonderful second week of session. Uh, this is airing tomorrow, which is MLK Day. So happy MLK Day to everybody. Um, yeah. And we'll see you back soon. Bye. Bye.